Hello, and welcome to Crack Encrypteds and Curios. This is Matt, once again, joined by Angel. In this episode, we open the pages to one of the most mysterious documents ever created, the Voynich Manuscript. Now, before we get into this roughly 600-year-old script by an unknown author, we have some important business to attend to, Angel. Our ever-continuing effort to become better people through various goals we are setting for one another. Goals that are, of course, simply contained within the confines of this episode. So hit me with your number one goal for me, Angel. Well, Matt, let me start off with a little bit of history. Oh, boy. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin was a, was a master shaper <laughs> of his reality. He did this by keeping a notebook and jotting down his daily activities and whether he achieved some goal he had set to improve himself. (laughs) Benny's 13 Virtues, it was called. (laughs) Benny, Benny's 13 Virtues. Your goal... Benny Franks. (laughs) Your your goal will be to embody Big Ben and talk about at least... Your your goal will be to embody Big Ben and talk about at least one virtue you believe you have mastered. Luckily for me, I've already mastered all virtues. Exactly. I learned from Benny Franks. <laughs> I have his diary. I have tattoos on my rib. It's <laughs> all the virtues. <laughs> so last episode, I had you focus on putting yourself into the into the other people's shoes which is a very difficult thing for some to do but you you mastered it you knocked it out of the park by embracing new york tony a lovable rapscallion from new york city so it's important to continue embracing empathy and trying to see through the eyes of of those you wouldn't ordinarily do this time you have to answer at least two questions as brooklyn tony (laughs) the arch enemy of new york tony a, a very different accent than New York Tony, Brooklyn Tony. I don't think so. <laughs> it's going to sound exactly the same. Maybe that's why they're arch enemies. It's a doppelganger. Maybe. <clears throat> Maybe. Your second goal, Matt, is to break that virtue you talked about. That's right. You've mastered it. Now it's time for the vice. Talk about how you intend to never follow that virtue again. So I have to break the... I have to break my mastery. (laughs) This is teaching me so much. (laughs) Angel, many people don't know this about me, but I try to live my life off of what the company Microsoft tells me. I use Microsoft as a really a beacon of morality. For instance, Angel, I recall one episode where we were talking about Microsoft and their their dead person AI (laughs) chatbot that they were attempting to create, supposedly. And then we looked into their AI ethics team. So since that AI ethics team is is dead now and buried, it's it's gone. They don't have it. it they, it's it's gone. And then it's probably been replaced by an AI ethics team dead person AI chatbot. So they know what the ethics are. I figure if Microsoft doesn't think ethics are important for an AI, why should I be ethical? But we can't just launch you into being some sort of unethical monster like myself. <laughs> That takes a lot of studying Microsoft to get there. You can start where I did. If you ever are using Microsoft Word, oftentimes there'll be just these blue squiggly lines that show up under your phrases, which 
always make me think I'm some sort of grammatical caveman. <laughs> I look at it, uh, what is wrong, and it says, passive voice, consider revising. And I begin to pull my hair out. So, Angel, you cannot be passive in this episode. In fact, we are skipping active voice altogether and going for the ultimate grammatical voice, authoritative. So I need you to end at least two of your answers to my several hundred questions this episode in an authoritative manner. And there is nothing more authoritative than saying at the end of a sentence in a strong voice. So you better believe that because I am angel. <laughs> yeah, I hear, I hear that so often from other people. Better believe it. <laughs> so better believe it because I am angel. Okay. It's funny because your goal, your third goal, you know, this kind of leads into your third goal to transcend all virtues and vices. Once you do that, and hopefully it'll be by the end of this episode, you will announce it with a good old fashioned hark and explain why (laughs) they are no longer relevant to you. So, I mean, all I have to do is simply, like, transcend to Nirvana this episode. Not that, not difficult at all. Nope. (laughs) Can't wait. Can't wait to just transcend to a higher being. (laughs) In the next hour and a half. So, for my last call for you, Angel, for some, one reason or another, we seem to bring up M. Night Shyamalan a lot in this show. So I figure now is a great time to acknowledge one of his upcoming films while at the same time you can learn about yourself. You see, there was recently announced a prequel to his hit movie The Sixth Sense. He is calling this one The Non-Sense, where a young boy named Adam... <laughs> I can't where to come up with that title. The young boy named Adam is born without any of the traditional five senses. Touch, hearing, sight, smell, and taste. However... Throughout the movie, he, he slowly gains each sense, and then it culminates by obtaining the sixth sense. So, in honor of this, we will have you attempt a, a most difficult task. Over the span of five questions, we will have you cumulatively lose each of the senses until finally you have reached and achieved the non-sense. Okay, I, I need... So, each, each time you answer a question, <laughs> you lose touch... Like, the next one, you lose sight and touch. The next one, you lose smell, sight, touch. Until the final one, the fifth one in a row, you have no senses at all. You are nonsense. So am I supposed to just answer a question and be like, I can't touch anymore? (laughs) I don't know. That's you. That's what you have to achieve. (laughs) Okay. I can't can't touch anymore. (laughs) I'm so sick and tired of touching. I'm sick and tired of all this touching. <laughs> oh, boy. What have we gotten ourselves into? I have a question for you, Angel. But first, let me let me set the stage. It's, it, it's June of 1998. I, I think in, in that year, you were roughly the age of 29. You were still high on life for seeing the Spice Girls and their Spice World tour. Which of course we talked about in a previous episode. You were you were in your room, just dripping in sweat, drenched in sweat because it was a hot Florida night. The air conditioner was, as you would say, on the fritz. 
your mind wanders in the heat. Your vision is a bit blurry from dehydration. Young angel, approaching middle-aged angel, he (laughs) uses the sleeve of his Looney Tunes gangster t-shirt to wipe the perspiration away from his forehead. You think to yourself, I wonder if there's a book out there that no one knows how to read. That would be pretty dope. My question, Angel, do you still think that if there was a book out there that no one could read, would that indeed still be pretty dope? Most definitely. First of all, when I had that thought, I decided I'm going to write that book. (laughs) Yeah. And I attempted to several times and lots of start stops happening. And until I learned about the Voynich manuscript and then I abandoned all progress. You said someone had already done it. Yep. And you said, dang, that's dope. Pretty dope. <laughs> you remember that like it was yesterday? I mean, I still have my Looney Tunes gangster t-shirt. <laughs> still. <laughs> Hasn't been washed. Hasn't been, nope. Nope. Because I, I got to smell it from <laughs> I miss two blocks those, away. I miss those days back when I was 29. <laughs> Going into uh, your freshman year of high school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I failed a lot, but you know. <laughs> You gotta keep, gotta keep trying, gotta keep pushing forward. Reminds me of some of the virtues of Ben Franklin, but we'll get there. We are in luck, my friend, because there is such a book out there that presumably no one can read, and it has literally consumed decades of people's lives in attempting to decode, decipher, and translate this codex from the 1400s. Now, there is a, a word that we do not see enough, in my opinion, Angel. Codex. A codex is an ancient manuscript text and is the precursor to the modern book. They are composed typically of vellum, papyrus, or other similar material, and they are handwritten. And in relation to vellum, that is a parchment made from animal skin or membrane, typically a calf skin. We got handwritten skin paper books, Angel. What, in your opinion, would be the ultimate codex? What would the contents be? The ultimate codex would would be Slenderman's codex. And the contacts would be of his life and his deeds. Written... Like an, an autobiography? An autobiography written on the vellum made by his own skin. <laughs> He's taking a pound of flesh and writing on it. Yeah, to give back because you know how he keeps skin on his wall. Human skin on yeah, his wall. Yeah, he's got the wallpaper. So the skin wallpaper. He's giving back to the community by giving back his skin. <laughs> to the community. It's <laughs> my community service. You know, it's a, a little tip for that kind of thing. How does he talk? He doesn't have a mouth. Well, that's why he writes. Oh. <laughs> that's how he expresses himself. He does some, does some killing and then he writes about it. <laughs> He's he's a very soulful person, and and you know he's got feelings too. I envision his writings being very chaotic, like jazz in the written form. Yeah, and he always ends his books with S. Slenderman, just like the Declaration of Independence. All, all the all the documents, really. He signed them all. Oh, I wonder if it's like this book where there's. Put it under ultraviolet light, you you see different things. Yeah, maybe. We'll find out. (laughs) So as I mentioned, what is known today as the Voynich Manuscript has been dated to the 1400s and has one of the most curious histories of 
any book out there. So please, if you could, Angel, describe what the Voynich Manuscript looks like. Do you remember that scene in Indiana Jones? I thought you were going to say Castaway. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with that movie. <laughs> in Indiana Jones and, and the Last Crusade, where he's supposed to select the Holy Grail. Yep. And, he's and there's all those different cups. All those different cups, and everything looks lavish and, and embroidered, and they also uh, jeweled, bejeweled. But he chooses the correct one, which is a plain-looking cup, because he 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 reasoned that Jesus was a carpenter. He would you know, why would he have all this other you know stuff that that, that you know that would not be uh, befitting of somebody of such uh, humble origins? He didn't say it in those words, but that was basically the reasoning. So imagine that, but in book form. <laughs> this book is—I mean—it looks like a very old, tattered book, considering how old it really is. It's in pretty good condition. It's looking pretty good. Yeah, it's looking like uh, William Shatner. He's like ninety-two, <laughs> and he looks like he's sixty-one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the ghost in the the that movie is it? Isn't it King Arthur that's there when he's choosing the goblet? I think it's just the guardian that was. Oh. Apparently, he was. <laughs> the next thing it was King Arthur. He was cursed to live forever guarding that thing until finally somebody came along and picked the right one or something and chose chose the right cup. He's like, finally, <laughs> finally, the first person's here. Yeah. Oh, Indy. <laughs> New movie coming out. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's another one. Uh, a a, f- a f- fifth. Fifth Indiana Jones. Oh my god! The first twenty minutes have a de-aged Harrison Ford. Wow, that's great. <laughs> wow, I mean, de-aging is the newest the newest thing. That's what's going to happen in the nonsense. It's a de-aged <laughs> Haley Joel Osmond. Uh, something's wrong here. <laughs> I can't smell anything. So good. That was stupid. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait until you can't see. It's so goddamn funny. <laughs> For some reason, you can't taste when answering a question. What, like, what's that have to do with anything? <laughs> you know me, I'm always snacking while we record these. <laughs> I mean, you traditionally eat at least seven Philadelphia cheesesteaks as a record. And not to mention my, my, my big old Frank's obsession. Got those Nathan footlongs. Where were you? <laughs> Wipe the tears out of my eyes. As I mentioned, what is known today as... <laughs> Wait, we already did this now. <laughs> Going back in time. I lost my sight. <laughs> The Beinecke, <laughs> the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library at Yale describes the book as a magical and scientific text. Nearly every page contains botanical, figurative, and scientific drawings of a provincial but lively character drawn in ink with vibrant washes and various shades of green, brown, yellow, blue, and red. What we learned the last episode yeah, it was the last episode. Did the author or authors of this text know they were using blue ink? Obviously not. They probably saw it as a kind of purple or wine-colored. 
who spilled wine on the manuscript. They they probably saw it and thought, what a nice shade of red. We're going to put this down. Little did they know it was actually blue. And that's a fact. So you better believe that because I am Angel. Mm. <laughs> you know, one of the things Ben Franklin has really taught me in life, his highest virtue is honesty. As they say, Ben Franklin could never tell a lie. <laughs> and I can't either. I, I put Ben on a pedestal of honesty. I can tell. You're, you're being very honest right now, and I appreciate it. Thank you. There seems to be there seems to be a heavy emphasis on the book being perceived as a, a magical or scientific text. So in your opinion, is this a good way to approach the document or by granting it a label of magical, does it simply make the perception that it is actually more mysterious than it really is? Is this like a self-fulfilling prophecy of this book is special? Yeah, definitely. I think if you label anything magical, you're either going to get the skeptical, skeptic people's ears uh, perking up, and then they're going to try to double down and, and, and be like, oh, let's see about that. Or, you know, the, the magical believing people, they're like, what? What is this? I mean, I give you a rock and say, look, this is a, a gem that controls your heart through the moon. And then people are like, wow, guess what? That's the thing. <laughs> what? Gem, rock? gem healing and, and oh, all that. Oh, gem stuff. healing, yeah. yeah. So, I mean. Hold on. <laughs> I can't smell my essential oils right now, so I'm losing focus. I've got, I've got, I've got, uh, uh, what's that called? Oh, no. That's a sense that I lost, apparently. The smell? The ability to think of words. This thinking the seventh sense? Incense. There we go. I had incense going and I couldn't smell it. The sense of thinking. Whoa. <laughs> so. This is unairable. <laughs> it's progressively becoming each episode just worse. <laughs> this goddamn goals. <laughs> if you break down the drug. <laughs> If you break down the drawings in the book, they seem to segment into at least six distinct sections. We have number one, botanicals, with, get this angel, at least 113 unidentified plant species. Next, we have astronomical drawings with astral charts, various suns and moons, possible zodiac symbology in the form of a, a fish, a bull, an archer, and possibly the, the most important, which appears to be naked women coming out of the chimney like Santa Claus. The third category is biological with heavy emphasis on naked women with enlarged abdomens. I know that's a favorite of yours. Next, there is a collection of nine cosmological medallions, which may be related to geographical locations. The fifth category is pharmaceutical drawings of over 100 medicinal herbs and roots. And finally, Continuous pages of text, which are possibly recipes, maybe related to the medicinal herbs. What do you make of these six categories? It sounds like uh, somebody's putting together a book to uh, show aliens something. What? I don't know. Is it Voyager that was sent out to the satellite 
or the probe and it had like a gold disc and like on the disc is like various things of human history that can be interpreted by if any intelligence were able to uh collect that probe so maybe it's like that i think i think you're gonna have to write to me your questions because i can't hear you now you know, one of the things that Ben Franklin really harps on is integrity. Like, integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. And <laughs> frankly, Ben Franklin, you're you're lacking that. Still can't hear you. Assuming that these are the correct interpretation of the drawings, what does your gut tell you the purpose of the book is? Good thing I can still read because <laughs> I have the question in front of me. You are the worst. But Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tony can answer this one. I tell you, my gut tells me the purpose of this book is to communicate to lots of people the 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 the, the uses of medicine. And and how, how to live our life. Brooklyn Tony does not take no for an answer and that is what the gut tells me now you tell new york tony to stop entering my shop he always leaves skid marks <laughs> he knows what i'm talking about hey tony new york tony get out of here he entered my shop again sorry about my outburst i don't know if you say anything because i can't hear anything either vein in my neck is throbbing. I gotta cut salami now. Toodles. <laughs> he, did, he, did, he, did, he did the end of the show's the word. Uh, before we get any further, I wanted to open up this open this up to a scientific approach. Get the hell out of here, Brooklyn Tony. A scientific approach that McCrone Associated Incorporated completed in 2009. They examined and sampled the codex and found the following. It is 23.5 centimeters high and 16.2 centimeters wide and 5 centimeters deep. So that's roughly 9 inches high, 6 inches wide, and 2 inches deep. It is about 240 pages long and the writing is in brownish black ink. The letter size varies from page to page, but is generally consistent within each page. The writing appears to have been done with a quill pen. Now, with that so far, the varying letter sizes. Do you think that this may attribute various authors to the book, or at least various people taking turns writing in the book? Are the various sizes uh, throughout, or is it like maybe consistently like at the beginning of a sentence or something like that? Cause... No, it's like within the page. It's consistent, but as you go from page to page, it varies slightly. Mm, yeah, uh, enough enough to indicate that yeah. multiple hands had a, a a doing in this. I I I mean I don't see why not. This isn't the the I have a copy of the document open. It doesn't look like anything mysterious. I mean the drawings are a little bizarre, but there's nothing in there that that seems like oh what. 
magic and uh, and secrets. So yeah, not like this is the friggin' like Necronomicon. Yeah, whenever this book was written, it was written with a purpose, and I'm sure it was, you know, a group of people just doing their thing, just living their lives, writing in a book. They get up in the morning, write in the book, go to bed. I can't feel this. <laughs> can't feel just, anything at all. You're just void of feeling. You're becoming, you're getting closer and closer to the nonsense. It's going to spoil that movie before it even comes out. It's unfortunate. When examined in with ultraviolet radiation or ultraviolet light, there appears to be a signature of Jacobus Tepenis. At the beginning of the book, the ink used for writing and the ink used for drawing contain similar compounds and show no significant differences, which would indicate that the writing and drawing occurred uh, contemporaneously, meaning the drawings were not added in later by someone else. The analysis is rather extensive and goes into some deep details of the contents of the book. So, do you think this analysis helps combat the idea that the manuscript itself is a hoax? With the idea... I guess if you're thinking, if somebody's thinking that this was a hoax in the sense that um, it's not really from the time period that is being claimed, mm-hmm. then yeah. But who's to say that this wasn't a hoax written in the 1500s about uh, some guy saying, hey, I found the book that was written in the 100s. Just some dude being like, I'm going to F with some guys right now. <laughs> just, a, just a prankster. Just a jokester guy. You know, it's like, look at this book. I got some free time and a ton of blue ink to use. A ton of whatever color this is ink. <laughs> oh no, it's green. <laughs> so one suggestion I saw that for this to be a hoax, it would have had to have been very well thought out, as the parchment does indeed date back to the 15th century. So if it was a hoax, someone would have had to have had found a blank, roughly 250-page manuscript and started to fill it with gibberish. Are you convinced that it's not a hoax and that, like, the document itself is at least authentic? It most definitely is authentic. <laughs> That's right, Brooklyn Tony. I'm coming for you, New York Tony, and I'm telling you it's authentic. He doesn't think so. He thinks the Voynich Manuscript was written by a, 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 a crazy person, but I'm telling him, nope, it's real. It's authentic. <laughs> I can't taste my salami now. Luckily for us, Brooklyn Tony is a historical researcher with at least 30 years in archive history. So that is correct, sir. Hmm. No further questions. <laughs> you, can, you can come off the stand, sir. <laughs> I can go home now. I need to see my wife and kids. I haven't seen them in 20 years. <laughs> Been stuck at work. Stuck at work, cutting salamis, dealing with this Tony guy. They say he looks like me, but I don't see it. I think he's the one that's been seeing my wife and kids. <laughs> is, this, is this a Bobcat Goldthwait joke? <laughs> no. <laughs> it sounded like like the monster Gunther. In the movie The Fun House. <laughs> oh, yes. What a classic <laughs> film. Maybe that was Bobcat's first role. <clears throat> so, assuming the manuscript is not a hoax, 
how how has this thing survived in in relatively good condition for roughly 600 years there is supposed ownership history of the document but it is filled with several gaps and just like the book the ownership history is surrounded in controversy supposedly emperor rudolf ii of germany his nose so bright angel we are talking about the holy roman emperor my gosh it is believed he purchased the book for 600 gold ducats 600 According to a New Yorker article on the manuscript, that is equivalent to roughly $90,000. Now, Angel, Emperor Rudy was a man after our own hearts. He supposedly had a menagerie of exotic animals and plants, along with the most extensive cabinet of curiosities collection on the entire continent. He even had a lion and tiger that just roamed the castle, and there are actually surviving records of him compensating survivors of being attacked by the animals or just payments made out to the families of people that the animals killed. What would go through your mind if you're just chilling like a villain at Prague Castle, viewing some weird curios that the Holy Roman Emperor collected, and you find yourself being hunted by a lion? I'm no ordinary person. I'm definitely, you know, like Idris Elba, and I'm going to wrestle that lion. You're going to protect your daughters? Just start slugging them in the face? That's right. And so you better believe that, because I am Angel. (laughs) I believe it. I mean, it was so authoritative, I have to believe it. Supposedly, the man also had another manuscript shrouded in mystery, the Codex Gigas, or the Devil's Bible. Now, let's think about this, Angel. We have an eccentric emperor and a mysterious book. Looking at when Rudolph was born and when the manuscript is dated for, that puts the book at being roughly 100 years old by the time it comes into his possession. Is linking it to it being the book to Rudolph a way to enrich the lore? Or do you think that he really could have owned it? I mean, I think that's cool if, if, uh, if you know, the more, the lower, the better. Why, why Emperor Rudolph of all people? Um, first of all, I've never heard of the guy. So I, he's propo- the second. I propose that Hollywood start making movies about him because after uh, the, the, whole, the researching this whole thing, I'm like menageries and lions getting hunted. Like, why aren't there movies about this? You know, I don't want to see Gladiator. I want to see the Emperor have a lion and a tiger just roaming the halls and people just randomly being chased by them. <laughs> yeah. Screw, like, Marie Antoinette. In those historical dramas, I want Rudolph. <laughs> just going I w- I insane see- in Prague. I want to see Rudolph, like, with a esteemed guest just showing off some crystal skull he's got in his basement or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then he's got the mechanical Turks just doing mechanical <laughs> he's stuff. He's got all the things just sitting there. <laughs> Supposedly, Rudolph purchased the book from English astrologer John D. But to the best of my knowledge, there is no record of where uh, John D. got it from. But there is a belief that at least Rudolph was of the thought that it was written by philosopher Roger Bacon. And John D had a, a rather extensive Roger Bacon collection. He was a he was a Roger Bacon yak. 
the chain of custody then appears to fall from Rudolph to his imperial pharmacist, Jacobus Horsiki de Tepene, the same man that appears as a signature under ultraviolet light in the manuscript. Why do you think the alleged third owner signed his name to the book as presumably the previous two owners did not? I think, I mean, maybe they just didn't think of it. Is it like when you get a book from the library and you sign the card on the inside? Yeah. um, I know when I get a book, I'm putting my name in it, making sure that everyone knows who owns it. (laughs) Whoever owned it previously didn't do it. Well, that sucks to be them, but got to start somewhere. Sometimes we get uh, books from there's little free libraries around us where you just give a book and take a book. And Mm -hmm. we we get books for our daughter and it'll be like (laughs) to Jonathan from Grandmother. It's like, oh, that oh, no. sucks. <laughs> oh, poor, poor grandma. Your book got given away. <laughs> or, or was Jonathan's book stolen from him? <laughs> Can you imagine you steal a book and then you just, I don't like this book. I'm putting it in the free library. <laughs> no one will trace it back to me. I mean, I think that's better than when I had to return a library book from... Uh, that was 20 years old. <laughs> 20 years old? Did you just like, I think you're better off just burning it. Well, I just recently read a news article about something similar where somebody returned a 20-year-old book after they had checked it out when they were young. And they got a big old thank you note. I got a guard chasing me off the premises <laughs> when I tried to do that. And no article was written about me. <laughs> Whatever. No. You know what this tells me is that Benny Franks and his his virtues of honesty that I am enthralled by and have mastered, just like our goals for the year of shedding our idiot slob skin, I'm shedding that that honesty virtue. I'm getting rid of it. I'm I'm breaking it because you know what? I think lying in that situation would have been better than than honestly saying I'm here to return this book because it it just got you hassled you're absolutely right what a great piece of advice who knew instead of turning to a virtue turning to a vice would still help me out mm-hmm. just vice it that's what i say <laughs> just vice it why <laughs> hear me vice it don't be nice vice it <laughs> it's my next hit song <laughs> lights turned out i thought my sight went away <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you mean, you mean the lights came back on? Oh no, I can't see. Jesus. Or hear, or taste, or smell. <laughs> Just throw them all on at once. Touch. I've you, lost them all. You've achieved the nonsense. I need help. I, I can't go on from this. Now you know how Adam's character in the M. Night Shyamalan movie lives his life. You 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 know. An inner voice is telling me something, and I feel compelled to respond, which is the thing that I will say is, why would this movie exist? It sounds like a dumb movie. He's going to make money on it. <laughs> Guarantee it. Yeah, yeah. Just like all the movies he's made. Hey, he has a strategy of low budget, and then people go out for the name. Makes his money. That's how he does it. Self-produces. Uh, I mean, I do it, so, yeah. 
Go see his movies. <laughs> the next owner seems to be an alchemist in Prague. An alchemist by the name of George Beresk, who tried for two decades to decipher the book. Upon his death, it passed to his friend Johannes Marcy, who was a physician to the Holy Roman Emperor of that time. Once in the possession of Marcy, the book at some point made its way to Rome, where it presumably resided for nearly 300 years until it turned up in the personal library of Peter Bax to supposedly shield the book from being gobbled up into the papal library. It is at this point that the book was bought by Wilfred Voynich in 1912, getting its name. Is this, is the chain of custody reasonable to you? Does that all make sense? Is it believable? I think it's believable, but what I want to know is why, you know, somebody like the Holy Emperor Rudolph has it, and then an alchemist has it, another a physician of the Holy Emperor, and then finally, you know, all these people, and then suddenly we have a Peter Bex who happens to have a personal library. I don't know who Peter Bex is. Why does he have a personal library? And then it goes to Wilfred. We don't even know what Wilfred Voynich did. Like, what is he? Who is he to these people? I don't understand. Peter was a, a Jesuit in the, uh, in the church and had some power. So he, he was able to have access to the, to the for whatever reason, the book made its way to Rome and to the church and was just sat in the library until Peter sort of was like, that's mine. <laughs> Well, that answers Peter, mm-hmm. but Wilford, was he just a businessman? And Voynich, uh, <laughs> he was, his story is weird. He like escaped Russia uh, oh, through, <laughs> through like Siberia to China, made his way to, to London, I think. And then he was like, you know what? I'm going to open up a, uh, a rare antique bookstore. There's the, the one book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's theories that um, he was like a like like a revolutionary towards Russia, and b- being in this uh, this bookstore was really just a front to do other things politically. Of course, but for some reason he got the book. He saw it. And he's like, "Wow, that looks just dandy," and he bought <laughs> it. He bought it from the church. So based on the letter from Johannes Marcy, the Voynich that Voynich found with the manuscript, Voynich also believed that the book was owned or written by Roger Bacon. He then thought that by being able to prove that point that Bacon either owned it or wrote it, it would increase the value of the book if it was were to be put up at auction. Is this the point now, Angel, where we see a motive in creating a detailed and possible embellished chain of custody? For this manuscript, like, can any of that history of ownership really be trusted if there's a motive to make money on it? So do you mean to tell me that maybe possibly Voynich constructed that whole cus- uh, chain of custody that we just learned about? Maybe the emperor never really had it, the physician, the librarian? Well, then that brings me to the bigger question, which is what is who, what is the true chain of custody, and mm-hmm. why is that not any special? There's theories that Voynich himself actually forged the book and made it as a hoax to just sell. We can easily dispel that because we know that the book's been carbon dated to 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 the time period that it's claimed to be from. Maybe he found a blank 
book from the time period. A blank book from the time. And he <laughs> just wrote, wrote it in. <laughs> just look, look at this thing. It's just waiting to be written in. That's uh, what he it, says to himself. And you know, I mean, I'm not saying anything, but he did come from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't think I'm getting a sense of uh, of honesty from this man. He was a a believer of uh, of Benny Franks. Benny Franks. <laughs> he couldn't tell a lie. It's, that's attributed to him. Nobody else. <laughs> None of the other founding fathers. Just no. Him. No. No president. If the book being scientifically dated to uh, the early to mid 1400s is true, that would put Roger Bacon being around like 230 years old when this was supposedly when he supposedly owned or or wrote it. So that's unlikely in my opinion. But the entire time the book was in possession of Voynich is when it really started to be seen as this, like, as I say, magical or scientific manuscript. Voynich had the book inspected by University of Pennsylvania philosopher William Newbold, who I am not sure did more harm than good to his own life in trying to decipher the work. According to the New Yorker article on the matter, Newbold spent the last years of his life and his fading eyesight poring over the codex with a magnifying glass and copying the ink patterns that seemed to form around each letter, focusing on tiny squiggles around the words that he believed to be the codex's actual content written in anagrammed micrographic shorthand code. <laughs> Woof! <laughs> Turns out, Angel, this anagram micrographic shorthand code that he saw was just how the ink dried and cracked. Is this not just an anticlimactic way to spend the twilight years of your life? You mentioned another name, George Bereshk, mm -hmm. who it does it says spent two decades trying to decipher, and then upon his death, I imagine he was dying from trying to decipher it as well. Nobody's going to uh, convince me otherwise. A lot of this story reminds me, I'm reading Garth Marenghi's Terror Tome. Yeah. And a lot of this is <laughs> very similar to what's occurring in that book. Except in that book, there's a typewriter, and the typewriter like makes love to the author, you can say. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's just missing that. But <laughs> pretty much other than that, it's the same story. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> But like, I need you to put this into perspective for me. I need three other worse ways to spend the end of your life than interpreting the cracking of dried ink as a mysterious code in an old-ass book. <laughs> Let's see. The top three things. I don't know okay. what happened there. Johnny Carson? <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three is worshipping that book and everything in it. Give you a minute to think on that one. Oh. <laughs> Number two is determining whether the natives saw the ships or not. <laughs> and possibly the color blue. <clears throat> and uh, number one is injecting Brendan Fraser into epic poems. That's, that's a great way to spend the end of your life. This is him as Beowulf. <laughs> Fighting Grendel. And I mean, you recently uncovered that Grendel and his mother were possibly bears. Possibly bears. Yeah. Um. Nobody seems to acknowledge it. But the way Grendel 
is described as very sparse, but he doesn't really speak. He kind of growls. And then Grendel's mother is like found in a cave. I mean, you have to go underwater to get to it, but the cave is not underwater, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. So, just like a pocket. Yeah, I mean, they're bears. Beowulf fought bears. Bears were scary back then. Bears, They're scary today. Bears, bears were considered very frightening creatures back in, in, in those times. Apparently, even the word bear was like the euphemism for the actual word that they used for it. But everyone, you know, of that belief of don't say it because you'll summon it. They were so afraid of these things that they never used the actual word for it. And they just used the word bear. And then the real word was lost in throughout uh to history or something like that but i think somebody else uncovered that what the actual word was but the point sounds is like that, sounds like grendel to me it's like <laughs> grendel it shows up and <laughs> destroys your, your castle i mean grendel goes into the hall where these people are celebrating and starts eating people i mean who what else does that other than a bear and and bears are prevalent in that um in that area believe i just advise everybody to watch the christopher lambert version of beowulf it is a adventure (laughs) yes for some reason they like they took the approach of this like not like maybe like futuristic but still medieval it was a it was a style i'm wondering if there if it was a you know, he was still coming off of the Highlander thing. And they're like, yeah, let's keep that aesthetic. <laughs> he was like coming off a of Highlander like a decade earlier and his <laughs> career was dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, nobody else knows him for that. And then and then and then he becomes Raiden in Mortal Kombat, which is, again, mm-hmm. like lightning stuff like he, he can't escape it. Maybe he is the Highlander. There can only be one Christopher Lambert. Yep. I remember watching a movie with him in it where it was like a, a serial killer. Like trying to build the body of Christ with the body parts of his victims or something. Trying to Frankenstein Jesus Christ? I think so, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And then he could use his lightning to charge the body. <laughs> well, I, I think Christopher Lambert played the uh, detective trying to find the killer. I forget the name of the movie. It escapes me at the moment. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. We're going to become a Christopher Lambert podcast. <laughs> What William Newbold did, though, is emblematic of this whole thing, this extreme desire to decode this codex, to to be the one who finally translate what the hell is inside these pages. This is half-joking, but at the same time, I, I kind of wonder if it counts. Based on, what, based on some of the curios we have seen on this show, Angel, would the painstaking efforts that people put into deciphering this book only to and an abject failure, deem this item as a cursed item. I mean, would you consider Excalibur a cursed item? I think it's more of a... Because you can't pull it from the stone? Yeah. Until the but true, it was. Until the true king can do it, right? Until um, the, the guy that was in the end of Indiana Jones pulled it. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like the um, maybe the, the one true... Chosen one that the, the, the deciphers the the codex was it was meant to be. You know? We he we he's the king of the United States or something. I don't know. <laughs> when it was written by Roger Bacon, he foretold <laughs> the United States. 
<laughs> I mean, he was 230 years old at the time. <laughs> yes, I mean, <laughs> no one uh, that I know of has <laughs> uh, said Roger Bacon's dead. <laughs> He's still alive. Yeah, nobody talks about his death. <laughs> All those Baconaniacs out there just <laughs> keeping him under wraps. This will perk him up when they hear about this. Famed uh, cryptologist William Friedman, who helped crack Japan's cipher in World War II, he tried his hand at decoding the manuscript. However, after three decades, he claimed that deciphering the manuscript was impossible and came to believe that the content was just a constructed language that dated back to a time before constructed languages were known to be a thing. A constructed language is just a language that is artificially created and rather than evolving naturally through usage. So examples will be stuff like Tolkien's Elvish language or the Klingon language in Star Trek. It's just made up language. Would you agree with Friedman here? Is is it likely that it's just a that's just written in a language made by a single person or a small group of people? They just made up a language. I mean, it's not unheard of. I don't know about how prevalent this was back then, but I'm kind of reminded of the World War II code talkers. The Germans, I believe, couldn't de decipher the code that the United States was using, which was just, it was based on the languages of a lot of the Native Americans. I imagine it's, um, if you're using a language that's obscure, it's near impossible to decipher, especially if you have no kind of Rosetta Stone to, to help you figure out what, what, what is what. There's a uh, Nicolas Cage movie, Wind Talkers in the Korean War, with Navajo Wind Talkers. Couldn't crack the code. Yeah. It was before his career really went off the deep end. <laughs> like Christopher Lambert's. <laughs> uh, so many, so many good movies he's reporting. <laughs> before we go into the rubric power, I just want to get your opinion on this here. Why do you think people are so enamored by the this book... And its contents. I think it's obvious. You find an old ancient manuscript written in, in a script that you're not familiar with. You show it to, you know, esteemed academics and, and they all agree that they don't know what it is. And nobody can figure out what language this is or how to decipher it. It, it becomes this thing where you're like, well, what could it possibly be? What kind of secrets does it hold? And then you see the illustrations that are just mm -hmm. out there. You know, these a bunch of naked women, naked women, big bellies, and and you know, coming out of a, a chimney. <laughs> Sometimes some, they're in pools of water. Some arranged in a circle with a, a center or something, looking like a hodag. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, it's a smiley sun with women around it. And then the whole plants. A lot of people mm -hmm. uh, uh, mention that the plants seem to not exist. They're not of this earth. I mean, that's bizarre to me. Like, I find that hard to believe. One one thing I saw was that it was an idea that the plants that are drawn in it are like amalgamations of, of plants. So it has like the roots of one plant, but the flowers of another and the stem of another. Why they would do that, I don't know. Maybe they were trying to cross-pollinate plants <laughs> and determine what it would look like i don't know it was a mental exercise maybe they were trying to breed plants with cactus needles in them oh, <laughs> blow up everyone's dismay 
You were doing things in the Voynich manuscript before you knew it existed. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a forward thinker. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you wanted to add before we get into the rubric of power? What if I were to tell you that perhaps the Voynich manuscript has been deciphered? Would you believe that? No, because it has not. It has not been deciphered. But there is a theory, and it's huge, that the huge, <laughs> huge. They these. Um, I have two books in front of me, uh, written by Jules Yannick and Arthur O. Tucker. One of them is called "Unraveling the Voynich Codex," and the other one is "Flora of the Voynich Codex." And I'll give you the subtitle for that one in, in a second. The first book, the unraveling one, pause, uh, proposes a theory that we've been looking at the Voynich manuscript all wrong. And that it is, in fact, a document that was written. I don't know if it was written in or by these people, but it was written about Mesoamerica. Mm-hmm. And that. The arts, the the drawings of the plants and all of those are all found in what is now Mexico. They're, the drawings of the animals can all be attributed to some uh, Mesoamerican creature that exists there. The, int- the introduction of the book is, he talks about how they presented this in the conference. A lot of people on the internet think they're a joke, but a lot of the academics uh, praise them. I'm getting a, I'm getting a lot of vibes of, of, of the Piasaw stuff but i i actually think that they these books are actually more uh more on the right path (laughs) than the 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 chinese visiting america thing i think they have i believe they do make sense they definitely present their the, the books are more academically written so it's not like conversational they they present their evidence and all that i think i think there's definitely something there and i urge everyone listening to check these out because this is not one of the things that pop up when i search for voynich manuscript so i think it's um something that should get more um more viewing the second book the flora of the voynich codex the subtitle is an exploration of aztec plants so that one's even more interesting because it actually goes into the the plants that are found in the book maps them to the real life plants that they're supposed to be uh representing i think i think that's pretty cool i saw that and i I thought that was a neat take on it the only thing that i and i'm sure they explain it in there but how do they explain away the the time difference of so we have this book that was made in the early 1400s but european contact with the main with mesoamerica didn't occur until nearly 90 years later I mean, I haven't read into that yet, but the only thing I can think of is, um, I don't know how accurate the the dating the, stuff The is. carbon dating. Yeah, like it's going to get you a good range, but it's not going to be precisely, you know, 90 year difference or anything like that. So it could be the case that it's around that time. That's all I got. <laughs> you know what that tells me? What does that tell you? <laughs> that Benny Frank's virtues of things like, you know, honesty, integrity courage compassion you don't need those vices lying deceitfulness lust which betty franks was full of uh just hate you don't you don't need those 
you, you just need to you just need to need to look at yourself in the mirror and and, and just summon hark be gone virtues be gone vices and then you know what you feel better you're absolutely right i think i think this is even better advice than the one you gave previously like why even deal with lying or being honest forget all that just just be or or take a vow of silence and never speak again <laughs> which is surprisingly one of <laughs> benny's <laughs> virtues <laughs> He should have. He, maybe he should have looked into that. <laughs> so how about the the rubric of power? We're going back here to the collector's edition, the oh. lore of the Voynich manuscript. I am absolutely. This is not the first time I've heard of the Voynich. So I had heard about it, you know, years ago, but I never like did a deep dive research into it like we've done. You know how we're always getting ahead of the time schedule and, and getting that stuff done, doing any <laughs> last-minute crunching or anything. No, no, no. But, yeah, the, the the lore is fascinating, I think, because, it's again, it's, it's, it's a mysterious book. Nobody really knows anything about it. So people just, you know, they come up with theories, and that adds to the lore. And who's owned the book? And the whole concept of did they really own it or did this guy just make it up to make it more uh famous i think uh this this is a perfect example of a perfect example of when you give more um details about something and it doesn't take away from the mystery unlike the Mm -hmm. whole slenderman facts thing yeah which is ruin it (laughs) so uh, i gave it a four in lore damn yes i think the lore surrounding this object is what makes it so unique so like so many people have tried to decipher it and have and they have all failed the writing in it is unique the style the the imagery is provocative the plants are largely unknown and like as you said some believing that they're related to aztec and new world plant knowledge uh, some people like nicholas gibbs have claimed to have cracked the mystery only to be refuted by scholars that are like, nah, Nick, you're wrong. Uh, Gibbs is of the idea that the document is a guide to women's health that actually plagiarized other guides from the time period and that the writing is actually all shorthand script Latin. And I'll get this, Angel. Gibbs says that some of the images are pulled straight out of other works, including Pliny the Elder himself. (laughs) We have another... Another thing touched by Pliny the Elder. I, I watched it, maybe. <laughs> I watched a uh, a TED talk on it, and they even mentioned in the TED talk that there are theories that Martians made the manuscript. Ooh, of course, <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. <laughs> so I gave it a lore score of three point eight. Ooh. <laughs> Snubbed it. Snubbed it. Uh, how about the fells after this? <laughs> properties. properties of the Voynich manuscript. You know, we talk about this mysterious document. You, you know, it's this grand thing. But as I described it to you earlier, it's like the Holy Grail in in the Last Crusade. It's just this plain looking thing. Like you would never look twice, other than that's a really old book. And why hasn't it fallen apart yet? <laughs> I gave it a two. It's just an ordinary book. 
I would have given it a one, but I think the fact that it still looks quite good for for how old it is bumped it up to a two. It's a it's a plain Jane. There's nothing special about it, in my opinion. It's just an old book. It it actually reminds me of a a picture I saw recently of I think it was a Tibetan library, and it's just like floor to ceiling old 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 books that are just untranslated, untouched, really. And it's like, who knows what the hell's in those books? <laughs> it's and They could have hundreds of Voynich-type manuscripts in their libraries, and no one's looking at those. So for properties of this one, I gave it a one. How about the uh, functionality and purpose of the manuscript? I'm coming at it with the with the le- uh, from the lens of this book was a document to to document all the, the stuff that is found in the new world, right? So I think its purpose was to simply demonstrate all these new things and strange creatures and flora and fauna of 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 this area. The only thing though is why is it written in such a uh, made up script? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it was because they were trying to keep it hidden from other prying eyes. We don't know that yet. Well, even like the like Gibbs had thought of the, that this book was like had plagiarized material from other books, which I mean, at the time, no one effing cared. There was no copyrights. <laughs> yeah. There were very few books. So what, what's it matter? Uh, very few people on top of that that could actually read them. So maybe it was their way of protecting their book from others stealing information out of it and, and putting it in another book that they didn't want it in. Yeah, that's a that's a good idea, and then they, only the person with the cipher would be able to decode it. And I think just the fact that we're speculating raises uh, to me makes the the purpose of the book even more fascinating. So I I gave this a two point five. Ooh, a two a two pointy. <laughs> the uh, I think this category, in my opinion, hurts the manuscript because we cannot definitively say what the purpose of it is that loses some points there there is essentially no functionality to it because we can't tell what the damn words in the book mean <laughs> so because of that I, I landed on a one but uh, i suppose do you have a overall like this is your theory of what the book is i mean i'm definitely swayed with the whole i think this is a book that was merely to document the findings of these of the explorers i'm of the opinion that it is a the contents are just it's like a a, an apothecary's book of plant matter and recipes and then with the astrological signs and the imagery of women honestly to me like menstrual uh, cycles and implications of that and when to apply medicines at the time a lot of medicinal science was based on different herbs and different plants uh did different things during different different astrological events so that they like either like strengthened at that time or weakened at different points in the year so i think it was just a uh, like an apothecary's handbook but for, yeah for some reason just written in absurd script <laughs> that the purpose of that I, I i can't guess but that that's what i think it is how about then the craftsmanship of the manuscript whoa i'm looking at the craftsmanship and i'm like why did i give it such a high score let me hold on anyway <laughs> let me uh, well, let me hit the brakes here <laughs> so i think the craftsmanship is related to what i put uh, uh the properties which is 
this is a regular book and looking at the digital copy of it, it you know the it, it looks like it's still in pretty good condition and i think that is a that alone is what made me give it this score because wh- however this book was put together is is it's did a not fine job of making it's, um, it's all on animal membrane <laughs> yeah I, I gave it a three yeah it, it seems to be very well made and has held up for 600 years allegedly so the the colors are well done the text and handwriting in it is amazing looking the images are bizarre and creepy enough to keep your attention so i think that was uh a neat just a neat aspect to it so I, I, I too landed on a three for the craftsmanship of the manuscript. There's even pages that like fold out and then mm-hmm. unfold yep. to be even bigger pages. Like what? <laughs> the only thing that would have made it a four is if it had pop-up images. <laughs> God, can you imagine that? <laughs> Makes noises. Like those <laughs> birthday cards that open up and play a song. Oh my God. <laughs> Aliens did it. <laughs> How about the desirability of the Voynich manuscript? You know me, I always want all the things. I would have given this one a four. Unfortunately, I'm able to get it digitally. So that kind of <laughs> takes away the, the desire. Um, and I could just print it out <laughs> and then have my own copy of the Voynich manuscript. And I could walk around like a, a nerd with a magical tome, uh, a grimoire. And you got your, you your grimmy? <laughs> So I bumped it down to a three. I didn't. Like <laughs> Emperor Rudy allegedly spent ninety k on it, and it's interesting that like the desirability just the desirability isn't just in the physical book itself. It's like the hidden content of the words are what people want. Like people have put years of their lives into figuring out the purpose of the content, like decades for some. The desirability to decipher this thing uh, made me put the score for desirability at a four. Very nice. What then did you uh, total up for for your score? Fourteen and a half. Woo. I had a 12.8, which I think is rare that I actually scored something lower than you did. <laughs> I must be on the fritz, like the air conditioner. <laughs> the air conditioner. So that puts the score for the Voynich Manuscript at a 13.65. I think this is our highest scoring curio yet. Maybe. Well, no. Might be, might be uh, Baghdad battery level. Baghdad battery? That, that's a nine. <laughs> it's definitely a higher higher scoring than uh, what is blue. <laughs> Whatever we're calling that. <laughs> But that was an event. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like the actual mm. title, Blue. What are you? <laughs> what is Blue? <laughs> now you gotta, you gotta hit me with the line. Can't move forward until I say the line. You're stuck in limbo, but I shall release you when I say, Voynich manuscript. You've just been cracked. I really imagine like a whip crack sound every time I say that. <laughs> You think uh, you think the Voynich manuscript has uh, artwork of of a man-eating plant, a man-eating tree? Oh, that'd be awesome! I don't recall seeing it when I went through it. When I flipped, maybe maybe, maybe uh, the people—that's what made uh, the people that own the book thought, "Oh my God, these places have there's 
They're stuck in a primitive past. <clears throat> so exotic. Maybe, maybe all those plants are in Africa, and that's why no one knew what the hell they are. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't even they couldn't even find the uh, the, the the where the Nile starts. Apparently, surprised they didn't draw dinosaurs in it. Vellum, vellum. R- rip your skin off, <laughs> and write some tweets on it. And send them over. If, if, <laughs> Mail your if Twitter on skin. <laughs> if Twitter was a physical thing, I'd want you to write it on vellum of your own skin. But it's not. So go ahead and wait. Wade your way through to the, the, not the dumpster fire that is known as Twitter, and find us at Cracking Curios. Tweet at us. You could include any hashtag. It doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> Are you are hashtags even a thing anymore? Like nobody nobody <laughs> talks about them. Hashtag throwback Thursday. <laughs> TBT. Anyway, tw- Twitter's mid, so whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna go touch grass after hearing that. <laughs> Instagram's still a thing though. Uh somewhat. You could go there and find us at Cracking Cryptids, closer to our title. We're 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 posting content here then. You gotta see our new mascots, you know, if you haven't yeah, if you haven't gone to see uh, Biggie and, and I haven't named the Mothman one yet, <laughs> mascot. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna start traveling soon, trying to hunt their own uh, cryptids. We'll see see uh, them in various locations. Be like, where in the world's Carmen San Diego? But with yep, Bigfoot and Mothman. That's right. That's right. Bigfoot, also known as Biggie Smalls, no relation. He's gonna get, gonna get killed. <laughs> Shot. I mean, yeah, that's that's what people want to do. The Bigfoot, it all it all lines up, man. You could call the Mothman Tupac. Yeah, <laughs> you're listening to us. You're probably subscribed to us, so that's fine. But if your friends aren't, maybe you should direct them to insert favorite podcast platform here. Tell them to go listen. I'm uh, confident. We will be on that platform because I said so, and I am Angel. <laughs> so authoritative. <laughs> I just wrote this really quickly, and I hate it already, but I'm going to say it anyway. So, as always, Voynich be with you. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> Voynich manuscript be with you. But Voyn, like I'm, I don't know, maybe like Bon Voyage, like as always, Voynich. Bon be with you, Voynich. Bo- Boyn- I don't know. Sound like Borat. <laughs> very nice, as always. Very nice. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. And that is what the gut tells me.